Y'all may be seated. Seems like every time I come up here, I got to do some rearranging of furniture. Who does that? Jared, is that you? I knew it. Well, we are in our second week of things that I need to remind myself, and I'm not going to tell you what that is that we need to remind ourselves of just yet. I'm going to let that linger for just a little bit. But I want to just throw a couple words out to you. When I say the words or the word laws, what comes to mind? All right, on the count of three, I say the word laws, and everybody, I want you to tell me what comes to mind. I've given you enough time here on the count of three. One, two, three. Somebody just said run. Well, what does that mean? Legalism. Legalism. See, so many times we, there, there are certain words and like the law, the law. Certain people, they said police and, you know, legalism is, is what was said last. And so many times we get kind of, we, we hear a word and then we automatically respond to that. When I think of the word law, I think of Old Testament. Anybody else say Old Testament? Yes. We had a couple. Lunch is on you after, all right? Just kidding. But the word laws, for me, I'm reminded of the Old Testament. Now, if I said, now this is not to be a giveaway for you, but on the count of three, I want you to respond to the word. You ready? Grace. Grace. Well, on the count of three, we're going to do this all together here. I've got to build it up just a little bit more, all right? One, two, three. Jesus. And then the echo, I heard, like a lot of that. Jesus. So when I think of laws, I automatically, I know some people probably thinking, you know, like, you know, the amendments, and they're thinking the laws and the police and those kinds of things. And then some people, they were meant, or they were kind of processing the Old Testament. And then automatically when the word grace comes around, we start, at least I did, I start thinking about the New Testament and then I start thinking about Jesus. Sometimes we, we have things and it's preset in our mind that when something is brought out, we automatically have a place that our mind goes. What I want for you today is on the topic of what today's about for you not to automatically go where maybe you think or maybe you instinctively allow your mind to go. There's something that happens when, when certain events happen and it's almost effortless. It's almost seamless. It's kind of like this. Just a different way of saying it. Say, for instance, that a guy who's the owner of a company, he's the owner of a company and he gets into an argument with his wife. Everything is kind of going wrong in his house and the owner of the company gets into it with his wife and then the owner goes in on Monday morning and he goes and just chews out the production manager at his plant, right? So he chews out the production manager. Production manager didn't do anything, but yet because of what happened from the, the owner and his wife, now he's taking it out on the production manager. Now the production manager goes through and he's got an ax to grind and he has no one else to grind it on except the worker under him. So he goes to his, his subordinates under him and it says, hey, you need to beef up production this week. Last week our numbers are down. This week you need, to, you need to get it in high gear. If not, I'm going to find somebody to replace you. 
So the production manager then, he goes down to the worker, and then the worker's all distraught. He's having a rough week. Now Friday comes. He's been doing his very best, but yet his numbers are still not where the production manager wanted the numbers to be. So then he goes home on Friday afternoon. He gets into an argument with his wife. And now he gets into an argument with his wife. And now that's trickling down. And now the kids are in the other room. Now they're arguing. And now the kids come in and wanting to talk to mom and dad. And now he's snapping at the kids. And then all of a sudden, the kids are mad because of what happened before that. And now this is a trickle-down effect. I'm not done yet. Stick with me. So now we go through, and because of all this that happened with the owner and his wife, and it's trickled all the way down to the kids, and now what happens is the kid gets mad, and he goes, and he's like, well, I can't take it out on anybody except the dog. So he boots Sparky the dog, which I don't promote, but he kicks Sparky the dog. Sparky takes off running, goes outside, and bites the neighbor kid. Who was at fault? It's kind of difficult to say who is exactly at fault. Is it, does the fault, is it all because of what happened in the beginning or is it all because of what happened at the end? Or are they all at fault? But one thing is easy to see in that is there was a cause and there was an effect. We know that because of those events, something happened because of it. It's kind of like when I said, Law and grace. You automatically, your mind went to that place. It was the cause was I said the word and the effect was wherever your mind went. The topic for today could cause your mind to go someplace that I don't want it to go. That's why I wanted to bring it, that to your attention. Now, if the Bible is true, and I believe that it is, but maybe if you're, if you're still exploring the faith this morning, maybe you don't, Maybe you don't exactly believe that the Bible is 100% true. Track with me. I ask that you just keep coming back and that you will keep testing that because I think that you will see that the Bible is true, that it's absolutely true, and there's no, there's no fault in the Word of God. But just follow me a little bit and say, okay, if the Bible is true and that, that God is the giver of life and everything in it, maybe there should be something that happens because of that. If God is who He says He is, and He's given us His Word as, as it is written to us in all the books of the Bible, and if all the promises, and if God is keeping His promises up to now, and He's done His part, then perhaps we should be doing something in return. I bring to your attention Psalm 36, verse 9, from the New English Translation. It says, For you are the one who gives and sustains life. So for, for us to kind of start out this morning, I just want us to kind of all enter into this together. For you, God, are the one who gives and sustains life. See, this is interesting. A lot of times we, we have a breakdown even in the simplicity of this verse because we look at this and say, okay, God, I know you gave me life. I know that. We're all on the same team there, right? God, you give me life. Thank you for giving me life. And so many times we just kind of stop there. But here, here's the sticky part of that. And it says... That God also sustains life. Hmm. So does that mean that he may have been the one responsible for the job that you have? We would say yes. Does that mean that maybe he is responsible for um, allowing you the opportunity to have running water in your home? Right? Maybe, maybe he's the one who is 
has provided you with the job to be able to provide the roof over your head as that he's doing. And maybe he's the one who's provided you with the living enough to be able to feed yourself or your family. So God not only is the creator. See, we, we can accept this. We can, God is the creator. We can, we can totally, we can, get our, we can get all behind that and everybody can cheer that and that's all great. Where it becomes difficult is when we start to realize that he sustains life because we think that we do. We think instinctively that I work, therefore I deserve something. Right? That I work, I work hard. I work more than 40 hours a week. You work more than 40 hours a week and you do all these things. So then you automatically think the cause of that is I work. The effect is I deserve what I've got. But if that verse is true, and if what the Bible says is true, that it's not just from us. It's from his hand to our mouth. Do you all understand that this morning? So he's, he's the source of those things. And because that he is the source of those things, I think that maybe it deserves a response. Several years ago, I had, just kind of give you the backstory on this. Um, my parents divorced when I was four. I've told you that before. You'll probably hear that again. And when my parents divorced, um, I, my dad was left with sole custody. Well, kind of growing up, and, and it was kind of difficult. It was difficult for my dad and to kind of to raise us and to, to raise two boys in the home that, you know, we were anything but compliant, and we were 100% defiant of everything. We thought we had it all figured out from like age five. I mean, we thought we had it all figured out. Um, we didn't, ironically enough. But my dad had a really tough time bringing us up as a single father for several years. And he worked. He worked hard. And a couple years ago, I, I sat back and I kind of, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to do something. And I'm not like a, a mushy, gushy kind of guy. Um, not at all. I'm like, just not usually that type of guy. But I really felt like the Lord wanted me to do something. So what I did was I crafted a letter, not my handwriting, because he would never be able to read it. It's terrible. But... I typed up this letter and then I sent it to my dad and I, and I kind of laid out just the history of my life and in, in basically what it was, it was just a way of saying, Dad, I appreciate all that you did for us. I appreciate all the sacrifices you made for us. I appreciate how you didn't even, you didn't even think about us. You were working to provide for us a roof and water and food. But yet in response to what my dad had done, I felt like I needed to just send this letter. And I found the letter recently, actually over the last, well, I guess it's the last two months, and I found it, the electronic copy, and I kind of read it again, and I was like, wow, it kind of brought me back because I remembered exactly what was going through my head and my heart at the time. And I knew that I had to do something in response to what my dad had done for me. Now, did it, did it make up for all of those, those nights where he wasn't doing anything for himself and he was just caring for us? Or all those nights when he was working overtime just to provide for us as a single parent? No. But that wasn't the purpose of it. The purpose of it was to say thank you and to do something in return for what he had done for me. What about your Heavenly Father this morning?
When's the last time that you have that you've sat back and said, thank you? When's the last time that you have went on your knees before God and just offer up just a, a prayer of praise and thanksgiving for what He's done for you, what He's provided for you, the roof that He's provided for you, the water that, you, that you, we have in plentiful supply? When's the last time that you have just offered up a prayer of thanksgiving and praise to Him? To just sit back and say, you know what, God... You've given me life, and you sustain life. That it's all from you. That it's not about us. It can't be about us. It's through God's goodness and His grace that He's blessed us with these things. Here's a challenge for you this morning. I'm going to say a word, and it's, you are also going to have, you're going to have one of those responses like with the word law and grace. I'm going to say this word, and it's going to make some of you cringe. And you're going to think of one certain thing, but I want you to be open-minded. And if you're not open-minded, the person sitting next to you is going to give you one of those. Elbows allowed today. The word is entitlements. Entitlements. You see, right now, I could see... I ha- Man, I had five people asleep just now. I said that word, and you sat up. You're like, I want to hear this. This is going to be good. Listen. The word entitlements. You see, I'm not, this is not a political speech, and that isn't even the purpose of this. What I want to do is I want to challenge where your mind goes when you hear that word, because so many times when we hear that word, we think of other people. And we think, well, you know what? They don't deserve it, yet they think they're entitled to it. But my challenge for you is to maybe look at this, at this verse and reflect on your life. Because when we live our life and we don't recognize God that He is the sustainer of life, we almost live as if we're entitled to what we've been given. Like we're entitled to it. This is deeper than politics. This is, this is deeper than, than where you live. This is deeper than, than who you affiliate with. This has everything to do with you. But it's a slippery slope. A few years ago, when we lived in Florida, Gracie and I, we used to go uh, dirt bike riding, bicycles, nothing crazy. Um, but I remember specifically, we, we got to right to this point where it was a really steep drop, and it was kind of muddy, and she's, she's crazy like I am, so she wanted to go down it, and I kept trying to talk to her, and I said, all right, sis, here's the deal. Once you go to the top, you know, she was all padded up, and I said, once you go to the top... There's, once you start going down, once you hit the top and you start going down, that there's, that's the point of no return. It's just, you're just going to go down and that's the way it is and it's, it's really slick. And I remember vividly that she, she white knuckled that bike and she's holding the brake and she's skidding down the hill and she's having a great time. But you know what? When we start to have a mentality that we're entitled to something, it's kind of like that slippery slope because it's, our gratitude ends When our gratitude ends, our sense of entitlement begins. When our gratitude ends, which is opposite of what you see on the screen, I'm saying it on purpose, it's a slippery slope for us. Because we cannot, when we start having a, a, or excuse me, when, when our heart is not grateful anymore, we automatically drift into the idea that we're entitled to something. That we're entitled to it. That's a trick. Because 
I've read the Bible, and I, I firmly believe, like Romans 6.23 says, it says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The, but look at that. For the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death. Because of us, because of who we were before Christ, before Christ, because of who we were, that there was a punishment for the weight of our sin. Because of the sin that was created, that, that is in our heart, that we are, were entitled to nothing outside of this. And it says, for the wages of sin is death. The punishment for our sin, what we deserve for our sin is death. But it says that there's a gift of God, that's the grace of God, comes with eternal life that we find in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now I direct your attention to the screen. It's the same thing in our spiritual life. This is turned around. Gratitude begins when our sense of entitlement ends. Our gratitude begins when our sense of entitlement ends. Because until we lay that down and realize that God is the giver and sustainer of life, until we realize that and we, we allow that to sink into us, we have an entitlement mentality. That yes, okay, I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about your life. I'm talking about the fact that, that yes, you work and yes, you earn money for the work that you do, but who gave you the job to begin with? Who created the idea to start the company that you work for? Where did the capital come from with the individual who started the company to begin with before you ever had a job? If you follow that trail back far enough, it goes to who? It goes right back to the Lord. And any time we start to think that we deserve something or we're entitled to something, we go against the grace of God. Our gratitude begins when our sense of entitlement ends. We're not entitled to anything. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But yet, in Romans 5.8, it tells us in, in that scripture, it says that even, and yet, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, we had nothing to offer God. Nothing to offer God. And it says, while we were sinners, while we were broken, as we were singing about earlier, while we were broken, we had nothing to offer anyone or anything. We were broken in ourselves. Our, our relationship with our Creator was broken. And now, it says in Romans 5, 8, and yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God. It isn't that we were entitled to that. That was a gift. That is something that God has given us. He knew the situation we were in. He knows the needs that we have. He knows the desires we have. And he says, you know what? I love you anyway. And yet, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I want to challenge your mind this morning to kind of maybe go against what your thought had been. And we hear about entitlements all the time. I mean, I listen to the news. But you see, so many times we, we do that and we, we can point to other people and say, well, this is this and this is this and this is this and they're that way. But you know what? Lean into this just a little bit. Sometimes that's us. Sometimes that's us. Because our gratitude, being grateful for the, the gifts of God, our salvation, the way He provides for us, who He is, that He's a promise keeper, 
Our gratitude for that begins when our sense of entitlement ends. We have to die to ourselves just to live in Him. That's what we're to do. If you would please open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7. Our main text this morning is in the next chapter, but I want us to read this first. This is what that verse says. It says, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So Paul is telling these people, he says, just as you excel in everything, it's like, man, you guys, you guys are rocking and rolling. You've got everything going for you. In faith, you're excelling. People are seeing that. In your speech, you're living out what you believe and, and you're talking about it and that's exciting. In your knowledge, you're learning the right things and you're not, you're not tainting your mind with other things. He says, you're tracking on. You're doing so well in complete earnestness and in your love for us. He's like, you're showing your love for other people and all of that is awesome and thank you for doing that. But then he continues that. He says, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So if God is the giver and sustainer of all things, as we've seen from Psalm 36, if God is the giver and sustainer of all things and all of the gifts that he's given to us from salvation to our material things, to the water we drink, to the shelter that we have over our head, to the clothes that you have on your back, to the job that you have, irregardless if you like it or not, it's still from him. And these, this, this church, they were doing some good things. They were excelling in their faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in her love for us, he says, you're doing some amazing things. But he says, I don't want you to miss this. One of the best ways that you can convey grace to other people is through giving. It is through giving. The thing that we need to remind ourselves this morning is that it is impossible to outgive God. It's impossible to outgive God. And that's not even the point. That isn't what God wants. He doesn't want us to say, Oh God, oh you, you've given us this, so I need to do this. And That isn't what God's about. That, that isn't even what the, the grace of giving is about that's talked about in 2 Corinthians. It's impossible to, to outgive God. And the beauty of that is, He doesn't want us to anyway. He doesn't want us to anyway. I've kind of changed my way of thinking on, on this topic literally since I've been at this church and through just conversations that I've had with our elders and they've, they've really helped me because for years I've been taught another thing. And, and then through our conversation with the elders and we, we as the leadership of the church, we, we sharpen each other and if, you know... That's what we do and trying to help each other and trying to build each other up and keep unity in the church and the leadership. 
But they've kind of, they've brought me full circle to this, to this idea and the topic of giving. And the reason why that this is what we need to remind ourselves is maybe because in the years past, we have been programmed to think something other than this. So we need to remind ourselves what the truth of God's word really says. In the Old Testament, the word tithe, or tenth is what it's talked about, it's, it was used specifically to give the Levites, the tribe of Levi, a portion because they were not given an inheritance. So God wanted to make a way for the priest in the Old Testament to have a way that they would be able to survive. And it wasn't just a tenth of the money. It was a tenth of the grain. It was a tenth of, of other people's livelihood going back to the priest to try and keep the mission alive in that context. But then you see there's a transition that happens in the New Testament. And this I want to point out to you this morning. This is our main text. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. See, this sounds a whole lot different than maybe what you've even heard in other church settings where they pound the word tithe and you need to give your tithe and and they pass the plates and they'll give you the stink eye if you don't actually give a tithe and all those types of things. You know, when everybody's looking and be like, whoo, Bill and Sally, they they didn't give this much and wow, they're they're really giving it up today. They even gave in cash and they did it in slow motion so everybody'd see what they gave, you know. You know, Maybe, unfortunately, that's kind of what's programmed in our mind sometimes when we think of the word giving. The word, the the act of giving is a matter of, it's it's reproducing, and just not reproducing, but but it's basically multiplying the grace that God has given you. Because if the Bible's true, and I believe it is, the preceding verse we just mentioned, just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge, earnestness and love, so you also excel in this grace of giving. So when you give, it's an act of grace. Not because we can outgive God. That's impossible. He's the giver and sustainer of all things. Think about that for a minute. Breaking down this passage... Verse 6, it says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Okay, if you plant corn, what should you expect a harvest of? Corn. If you, if you plant blessings, this is not tricky. You guys were really slow on that. If you plant blessings, what should you expect in return? Y'all didn't believe that for a second. That's the way it is. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. It's like, 
This is the whole reaping and sowing thing you see consistent in the Old, in Old Testament. It's coming true. It's the same thing that Paul talks about here. And he says, Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Each man should give in he should give what he has decided in his heart to give. This, you see, the Old Testament, when we sit and think about the word tithe, it leaves a bad taste in our mouth because that's also, that is basically covered under the law. It's covered under the law. What's freeing about this, about this teaching, and I think this is the most accurate teaching of giving that you can get, is you see, if this is true, and this is the New Testament, that giving now is an act of grace. It's in response to the grace that God has given us. Because He has been so good to you, you ought to do something in return to Him. Cause and effect. Because as the psalm said, He is the giver of life, and He is also the sustainer of life. Yes, you work. But... He was the creator way back before any, your business came about, before you came about, before your granddaddy came about, before anything came about. God is the giver and sustainer of life. Physically, spiritually, and relationally. See, this is really freeing in verse 7, that each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give. You see, this is not under compulsion or reluctantly. Here's how this pans out here at our church. We don't want, we don't want you to feel guilty. We don't want you to, to set such a high standard if you are not able to live up to that standard. So what we have done, and it happened way before I got here. I don't get any credit for this whatsoever. We have the brown box in the back. We talk about it every week. The reason why the brown box is in the back and why we don't pass plates, one of the reasons why that I've never been a proponent of this is because I don't want you to feel compelled because somebody put in a check before you that now all of a sudden you have to put in a check right after them because you feel compelled because the person put it in before you. Giving is an act of of grace, giving back to God what He has given to you. I can say that. I know that some of you, the cause and effect of me saying the word giving, you're automatically thinking of some TV preacher with a wild comb over asking for your money. I got it. I know it. Okay? That's the elephant in the room. I'm, I don't have that guy. I may do the comb over in like 20 years. Just hang out and watch. I don't know. Somebody said amen to the comb over. I don't... Oh. I'm confused. I might do it. Come back next Sunday. But you see how, how complete this, this is. In verse 8, it says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things and at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. So you see, there's something that's interesting about that, is that, the things that he has given us all, by the way of finances, relational health, spiritual health, we talked about salvation, that in doing that, there's, there's things that we can expect out of that. He says he, he will make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times you'll have what you need. If you're faithful, right? If you're truly faithful with what he's given you, he will be continuing to provide for you. 
and you will abound in every good work. So you see, that's a different transition in that, in that text because that means that maybe the, the, the finances that we have and maybe the relationships that you have, maybe those are actually meant to forward the good work that he's trying to do in this church and in the world around us. Maybe when he has given to us, it isn't so that we could pad our 401k or that we could pad our savings account or that we could, we could you know, be all wrapped up in all the material possessions, but maybe it says, you know what? He says, you will have what you need and you will abound in every good work. I want you to know that I think there's a good work going on right here at this church. I think there is a good work going on at this church. I think that there are people who are are qualified to lead in this church, that we have an, an amazing treasure that helps us keep on track with all our finances. John Johnson's his name. He wouldn't want any credit, but I'll, I'll, I'll mention his name because he's an amazing servant that nobody can appreciate his ministry, but yet everybody appreciates his ministry. And there's a good work going on here because God has been so good to you and I we should be able to do something in return. And if we let the buck stop with us, then, then basically it stops with our entitlement. Like that we're entitled to something. But God is the giver and sustainer of life. How could we possibly deserve what we cannot do for ourselves? Through the work of Christ, through, through the provision of Christ, We couldn't have. The idea of, of sowing and reaping or cause and effect. This is kind of... Here's, here's how this works out on TV. And I, I've had a conversation with, with a family member. This is the reason why I'm sharing it with you because I think maybe it needs, some folks need clarity on this. I had a discussion with a family member several years ago and I really felt like that I needed to, to go to her and just to share Christ with her. And I went and I, I was, man, I was prayed up and I, I had my Bible and, you know, it was, I was ready. I was, I was mindfully and spiritually ready. And I went in and I, and I went in with the... I was totally thinking that, that I was going to be able to lead her to Christ. And you know what she told me? I said... I said... Uh, I'm not going to tell your name. I said, if you died today, do you know that you'd go to heaven? And she looked at me and she smiled. And I'll never forget her words. She said, oh yeah. She goes, because daddy always told me that if my good outweighs my bad, then I'm going to heaven. That could not be farther from the truth. There's a television show. It's in the reruns right now. It's called My Name is Earl. And not that I promote this show, but this is, in, in the culture that we live in, this, this idea is still being promoted. This wasn't just a generational thing. This is still being promoted. And, and really what My Name is Earl is about is about this degenerate guy who's trying to improve his karma by doing a bunch of good things to counteract the bad things that he's done in his life. I think some of us may be in the same cycle we just don't know it think of who you who you are if if the scripture is true it says for the wages of sin is death but the gift of god is eternal life through jesus christ our lord 
And yet while we were still sinners, not that we were doers, not that we were complete, it says while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If that would be the case, how could we possibly think that we have to earn back the grace that was given to us? It's impossible. It's impossible. The reason why I share that story with you is because to understand the concept of giving, that God loves a cheerful giver and that God is able to make all grace abound in you so that in all things, at all times, having all you need and that you abound in every good work, you have to understand that when you give, it isn't that you're trying to earn back what God has given you. You just give back a gift, a portion of the gift that was given to you. Not out of compulsion. Not because... Oh, the pastor said so. It's because the word of God says, you know what? See, that you need to excel in the grace of giving. That you will abound in every good work. That you will add to that. If we just rely on, on our human effort, because it's the, if we have the cause and effect, well, we've done bad things and now we need to do good things. If that's the case, we will never be good enough. Because the reality is this, if all, I can, if all that God considers is my, my good and my bad, at the end of the day, I just deserve a, a swift kick in the pants, really. Because I have nothing to offer, the holy of holies, for the brokenness and for the things that I've done in my life. And God doesn't want us to. All He wants is a sincere and broken heart before Him. And He can do an amazing work in it. Many of you, you need your hearts broken on the grace of giving this morning. Because you, you're bent on this idea that it's, it's got to be this and it's got to be that and, and I just don't like it. I don't like the sound of it. He's getting in my checkbook. and what he's, I don't care if what he's saying is true. So many of us, we just need to have a broken and contrite heart when it comes to the idea of giving. I understand that, not, that giving doesn't come easy to everyone. But it's equally applicable to everyone. We can only give because what God has given to us and it's a matter of being responsible for the blessings that he's given us. And when we give, it should be an act of faith. It's, it's in response to the grace that he's given us through Christ and through our provision daily. And there's something I really want you to see and this is a stumbling block for a lot of folks. This is going to be on the screen. I'm going to make it plain as day. Putting God first in your life requires more than a day set aside for him. That's easy. It's called Sunday morning. We're here. Awesome. It requires more than that, or a Bible study to read about him, or a group devoted to praying to him. Putting God first requires us to give generously and faithfully to him. All those other things, those are, those are great, and we should do those things. But if putting God first, it means putting God first. First, it's more than just a certain day a week. It's more than just a Bible study to, to read about him or, or a group that, that just decides, I just want to pray and learn about God and I want to pray to God. All those things are great and necessary, but putting God first requires really an act of faith when it comes to your finances, to giving generously and to giving faithfully to him. Because God has so richly blessed us. We ought to do something in return. And what that looks like 
as the psalmist wrote in Psalm 36, 9, that God is the giver of life and he is the sustainer of life. Everything that you have came from his hand. And at the end of our passage, it says that he has, he has given us these things, that he has graced us with the gift of, of relationships, of a walk with Christ, with our finances, with a great church home, all of these things. He's graced us with these things. And he says, you put all those things together, and he says, I want you to abound in a great work. So what he has given to us, he wants us to use to move this church and to move his mission forward. Not out of compulsion, not out of, of any selfish desire, but because God loves a cheerful giver. Let's pray. God, you're amazing. I thank you for allowing us the opportunity just to be able to share this time together. Lord, it's my prayer that, that you would help us to have a deeper understanding of, of just the grace of giving. And knowing that it's a matter of forwarding the work right here in Dublin and Lawrence County. But God, I know that we only have a certain amount of money. And that's the reason why you said that, you, that we should give. We should give faithfully, obediently, but not out of compulsion. But because of the great gift that you have given us. Lord, that is a truth that is freeing this morning. It's liberating for us to have that understanding. But we can only be free because of the work that was done on the cross. That while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this opportunity just to, to learn and to experience this time of worship together. And we just pray it all in our Savior's name. Amen.